Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church, Catholic, Evangelical, Ecumenical. Prayer should be the key of the day and the lock of the night. 17th century British poet and priest George Herbert said that. Many of us are probably familiar with George Herbert, but someone with whom we're probably less familiar is the baseball player turned evangelist Billy Sunday, who puts it even more apocalyptically. If you are strangers to prayer, he said, you are strangers to power. And the critical nature of daily prayer for the life of the Christian is the logic behind that most venerated of Anglican devotional tools, the daily office. Father George and Brother Billy want us to make no bones about it. The life of the Christian is constituted in prayer. What makes daily prayer so critical? Bishop John Bauerschmidt has been thinking about this too. How do we equip those under our care to saturate their lives in prayer and be empowered through it by the Holy Spirit for life right now? Bishop John offers here a tutorial on daily office prayer, a sort of intro to the daily office, but also a way to strengthen commitment to habits and hours of prayer, even for daily office veterans, by learning more about the whys as well as the wherefores. Bishop John has been Bishop of Tennessee since early 2007, and he's in the 14th year of his episcopate. He's also a dear friend to us at the Living Church. So where does the daily office come from? Why is it shaped this way? And how do I use it? Bishop John, take it away. Some historical background may be in order for those who are unfamiliar with this ancient form of prayer. The origins of the Eucharist, of course, are familiar to most people, since they're attested to in the Holy Scriptures, in the narratives from the Synoptic Gospels, 
and in St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. The early Christians, however, practiced other forms of prayer. The New Testament refers to the early Jewish Christians continuing to join in prayer in the temple. There are also suggestions that in the earliest days, Christians continued to take part in the life and prayer of the synagogue. In these contexts, Christians inherited the custom of daily and weekly prayer centered on the Psalms of David, or the Psalter, as it came to be called. And this practice continued in two main streams in the first centuries. The first stream is the cathedral or parochial office, as it's called. Office comes from the Latin, signifying a dutiful or customary action, and here we encounter a significant notion when it comes to the daily office. It's what's appointed, or what's usual, in regard to the church's prayer. Because it's appointed, it happens in a regular pattern. Christians in the great urban churches of the Roman Empire, especially after the practice of Christianity became legal in the 4th century, were called to regular times of prayer in church, apart from the Eucharist, in the morning and the evening especially, marking out these significant times at the beginning and ending of the day. These liturgies were centered on selected short readings from the Holy Scriptures and psalms drawn from a smaller corpus associated with the time of day or with the season. In the days before the widespread use of books, parishioners learned these selections by heart. In this way, Christians continued the practice of prayer in a pattern associated with the synagogue, which had gathered people for prayer in a similar way. A second stream traces its origins back to the beginnings of Christian monasticism at around the same time. As the church became a recognized entity and then an established one, some Christians felt a call to a more intense and challenging form of life. In Egypt and Palestine, and then elsewhere, individuals made their way to the desert and other waste places of the earth to pursue radical discipleship. The first monks were solitaries, living first alone and then in small communities that were centered on the reading of the Holy Scriptures and the praying of the Psalms at regular intervals throughout the day. This more intense form of life allowed immersion in the Holy Scriptures, largely committed to memory, and a fuller use of the Psalter. Here the injunction from Psalm 119, seven times a day will I praise you, was formative. For the monks, the Psalter was the prayer book, and through the praying of the Psalms and immersion in the reading of the Bible, a form of life was created that, in the centuries that followed, spread throughout the Christian world. The medieval church married both these streams together into a pattern of liturgical prayer, practiced by the clergy individually, but also in community, in cathedral, parish, and monastic settings. In the monastic communities of the medieval world, of course, the office was sung in community, but there's plenty of evidence that in parishes in England, the principal morning and evening offices of the daily round of prayer, popularly known as matins and evensong, were commonly attended by parishioners and were even popular exercises. Books produced for individual devotion in the Middle Ages were often modeled on the offices of the church, a sign that this pattern of liturgical prayer had truly penetrated the devotional market.
At the time of the Reformation of the Church in England, Archbishop Thomas Cranmer provided a Book of Common Prayer that reduced the sevenfold office to two liturgies for morning and evening prayer, intended for daily congregational use. At the same time, he picked up the emphasis from the early monastic movement on the course reading of the Holy Scriptures and the use of the entire Psalter. The renowned theologian and writer Louis Bouillet wrote some years ago that daily morning and evening prayer, as formulated by Cranmer, were a means of education by worship of which no church, Catholic or Protestant, has the equivalent today. This is high praise for the Anglican office from a noted Roman Catholic source, one steeped himself in the traditional prayer of the church. This pattern of daily prayer has characterized Anglicanism for centuries, carrying forward the witness of St. Anthony, St. Benedict, and countless other holy folk into our own time. It's practiced more than you might think by clergy and lay people, on their own or in small gatherings in parishes, monastic communities, seminaries, and cathedrals throughout the world, wherever Anglicans are found. These offices are celebrated with grand choral accompaniment in great cathedrals, and simply said, in modest parish churches and by individuals. These offices have shaped Anglicanism itself, making the Bible, read by the Church within the liturgy, our main formational and performative text. So much for background and history. Now, a few observations about praying the office with some reference to these peculiar times of pandemic. The Anglican offices of morning and evening prayer have centered on the saying or singing of the Psalms and on reading from both the Old and New Testaments. Other elements are included, confessions of sin, prayers and intercessions, colics and antiphons even, but at the heart of it are the Holy Scriptures. Saying the Psalms is the traditional way of referring to their use in the office, but of course, saying here means praying the Psalms, taking the words of the Holy Scriptures and making them our own words. St. Paul talks about having the mind of Christ. What better way to have the heart and mind of the Lord than to be immersed in the primary text? Fundamentally, the office is really the prayer of Christ within us to the Father. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. As St. Paul says, Christ's own priestly work is ongoing, for he ever lives to make intercession for us, as it says in Hebrews. He is the head of the body, and we are the members. As St. Augustine once said in a sermon, he prays for us as our priest, prays in us as our head, and is prayed to by us as our God. He prays in us as our head. Recognizing our identity with Christ in his cross, passion, and resurrection through our own baptism is not a bad principle for those coping with the unique challenges of this pandemic. Much has been written about the Psalms that constitute the heart of the office. In the Psalter, we find the demonstration of the full range of human emotion, from words of praise and exclamations of joy all the way to expressions of devastation and anger. Some of this is pretty raw, as human expression goes, 
so much so that people sometimes wonder about making what seem like uncharitable expressions a part of our worship. Asking God to punish our enemies may not seem like the best we can do. But here we need to use our theological imagination and the lens of figurative interpretation to understand that most of our enemies are internal to each of us. Then, after all, who hasn't wanted God to slap to slay our enemies on occasion, or indeed even slap them? It's not pretty, but coming to grips with the reality is probably the first step on the road to repentance. In this time of the coronavirus, who could not authentically pray these words, Take your affliction from me. I am worn down by the blows of your hand. That's Psalm 39. Or Psalm 20. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob defend you. Or this Psalm of Exile, Psalm 137. As we think about our own exile from the familiar. By the waters of Babylon we sat down and wept when we remembered you, O Zion. Or Psalm 138 on the facing page of the prayer book, as we ponder our own distance from the sanctuary. I will bow down toward your holy temple and praise your name because of your love and faithfulness. Or further on in the same psalm, a great expression of faith and divine providence for all of us. The Lord will make good his purpose for me. With the Psalter, we are constantly invited to place ourselves and our own circumstances and those of others within the prayer of the Church. The Anglican writer and pastoral theologian Martin Thornton describes the small groups of parishioners who gather to say the office together regularly or individually as the remnant. In other words, it's unlikely that the whole community will be able to show up early on a weekday to say morning prayer together, but those who do gather constitute the core group of petitioners and intercessors who perform the work for the community of faith. Like the remnant of ancient Israel, under the authority of faithless kings or in foreign exile, those who have been faithful in prayer, in spite of reduction in their range and circumstances, have continued the worship of the community. A person who says the daily office is joining in the prayer of the church, even if at home and individually. It is not an individual pious exercise, because it is essentially a corporate action, even when entered into by a socially distanced person without much range at all. The office transcends space and time. Its main participants are saints and angels, after all, those who worship God in heaven and includes not only the people right next to you, though there may not be many folk in this category these days, but also people who are far away on the other side of the globe. Who isn't in need of remembering this in the days of quarantine and isolation, where even those who live close by, our friends and neighbors and fellow parishioners, are absent from us? Long before video conferencing or virtual worship, the church evolved a way of prayer that connects people who are near and far off in both time and space. The lessons of solitary prayer, learned long ago by St. Anthony in the Egyptian desert, continue to serve us in this time of pandemic. 
The daily office also sanctifies time. If the main markers of your day are the morning and evening commutes, or your list of appointments or calls, or the weekly cycle of celebration observing the weekend, time these days may lie heavily on your hands. These days, each day may seem quite a bit like the last one. Even if you still have a list of calls and contacts to make, or chores or housework to do, even if you are still fortunate enough to have employment, or a schedule to meet, or responsibilities to family and loved ones, time still needs to be sanctified, turned into something more than time to waste or time to kill in our present peculiar circumstances. To redeem the time, we need to ask God to intervene in it, to claim our time as he has claimed our history. Praying the office is a sure way we claim the time and mark it out as God's gift to us. Marking the beginning and the ending of the day by turning to God in praise or in confession of our sins or in lament for our world is the necessary theological frame for making sense of our lives each and every day. It connects us to the created order, God's good creation, because our time is determined by the progress of the sun across the sky, by the change of the seasons driven by the journey of the earth through space. It's noteworthy that the Psalter is full of praise for creation and that the office gives prominence to this theme. In his hands are the caverns of the earth and the heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands have molded the dry land. That's Psalm 95, a psalm traditionally placed at the beginning of the office. Spending the day staring into a computer or tablet screen disconnects us from the natural rhythm of the day. This has become more acute for us in this time of pandemic, where even connections with friends now take place in the virtual world. Praying the office is a reminder, even in the world of the coronavirus, a sign that the creation is marred by the fall. It's a reminder that we live in God's world. Louis Bouillet, that most excellent student of the Church's prayer, reminds his readers that the daily office is the praise of the mystery, that is, the paschal mystery of Jesus' death and resurrection. The psalms, hymns, and prayers of the Church are lavish with praise because of what God has done in Christ, our Redeemer. His life means life for us. Praise is the antidote to our spiritual aridity. And the office keeps this before us. In the midst of desolation and the emptiness that may accost us in this time of pandemic, remaining centered on the certainty of Christ's promises to us, on grace in this life and glory in the world to come, is a sure anchor. God bless you in this time of the coronavirus and help you to enter more fully into Jesus' prayer to the Father, discovering a new urgency in the midst of this pandemic, and new ways to pray as well. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can find a link in the show notes that will allow you to give so we can continue to make these episodes. Look for more episodes coming soon on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts these days. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, our website, livingchurch.org, 
or on our award-winning blog, Covenant, at livingchurch.org forward slash covenant. I'm Amber Noel, your host, and I've been glad to be with you. Peace.